0: Good afternoon. My name is Savannah, and I'm the producer for the Roxborough House Roundtables at Jefferson East Falls. Each episode is recorded and later posted on our YouTube channel for those who are not able to make it to the live event. They are also aired on the first and third Sundays of each month from 8 to 9 a.m. on G-Town Community Radio 92.5 FM WGGT. Today's roundtable is hosted by Professor Evan Lane and the Associate Director of Career Services, Patrick Ryan.
1: Uh, Thank you uh, for hosting this Roxborough Roundtable. We'll get into the topic here in a little bit, but I want to thank Evan Lane and the Law & Society program for hosting this Constitution Day special. Now, this is not maybe common knowledge for everyone, but all institutions receiving federal funding, including funding through the U.S. Department of Education, are required to hold an educational program Pertaining to the United States Constitution on September 17th of each year or the following week if the 17th falls on the weekend, which in this case this year it did. It fell on a Sunday. So I want to thank everyone uh, for hosting this and to uh, have this discussion today. Thank
2: you, Pat. Uh, My name is Evan Lane. Uh, We're talking about the Electoral College today, which is probably one of the most important things that very few people know about. And it's something we should know about because it's responsible for electing uh, several presidents uh, recently who didn't receive a majority of votes across the country. It would be our normal belief, based upon other elections, that the person who gets the most votes wins. Uh, But with the president, that's not true. Uh, George uh, W. Bush was elected president of the United States, although uh, Al Gore had several hundred thousand more votes than he did. Uh, Donald Trump was elected president of the United States, although Hillary Clinton had millions more votes than he did. So the question is to be, what's going on? And how does this work? And what is the history of it? So I think the first place we should go, and this is not uh, used to shame anybody, but as a symbol of what's going on, uh, looking around this table here, and we'll introduce ourselves soon, do you feel comfortable, anyone in this room, and I'm excluding the dean, just to my right, does anyone feel comfortable in explaining how it works? Okay, you could hear from the deafening silence that nobody in this room feels comfortable explaining how it works. So that's, that's a really good start. So we'll just, uh, before I get into it, I'd like to have people introduce themselves. They'll be talking, just give you your first name. Nice right. around. My name is Alex.
3: My name is Calamira. My name is Cassia.
2: My name is Sheldon.
4: My name is Chris.
5: My name is Felicia. And my name's Yanni.
2: Okay, so I think we should start, before we get into history of this, which I think will aggravate you, but before we get into the history of it, I want to explain how it works. Every state has a thing called electoral votes. Every state has two senators, no matter who you are, whether you're the most populous state, California, or the least populous state, which would be North Dakota or Wyoming. You get two senators. That's it. Doesn't matter how many people in your state. Then you get one, a minimum of one congressperson. You get more congresspeople depending upon how much population you have. So if for California, for example, I believe has 60 electoral votes, but you know, I'm not sure of that, but it's a good number. That means they have two senators and 58 congresspeople. That adds up to 60. That's based on population. You have states that have very few people in it. It doesn't matter, they still get two senators and they get one congressperson. So in almost all the states, except for two, and we'll put them aside for a minute, You could win the state, say let's take California again. If you win the state by seven million votes, or one vote, you still get all of the electoral votes. There's no college. There's nowhere you go to college uh, on this or anything. But these are people who have connections, whatever, they get together in a room and they vote according to how the vote was. So you have a democratic slate, if the Democrats are going to win the state, or you have a Republican slate. And if the Democrats took the state by either one vote or 10 million, if they took it, you get all the votes. And then when it goes to Congress, California votes, candidate X, 60 votes, whatever that candidate was. And that's the way it works across the country. There's a total of 538 total electoral votes in the country. If you win 270, you win. There can't be a tie. So if there's a third-party candidate, we'll worry about that later, okay? Because that's a complication that could happen. But you need 270 to win, okay? 271, actually, to win. So with that, what, what does this mean? So I want to talk about numbers just for a second before we get into um, the history, and then we'll go to your comments. So looking at just statistics, California has 11.82% of America's total population as of 2022. It has 10.22% of the electoral votes, of the 500-some-odd votes I told you about. That means California is misrepresented by 1.6%. Let me explain that to you again. Because if California, if we were doing votes by people in population, then California would have 11.82% of the total, but they don't. They have a deficit of 1.6%, and in close elections, it's a big deal. Now let's look at Wyoming. Wyoming is one of our least populated states. Wyoming has three electoral votes because they're very small, they only have one congressman and they have two senators. Wyoming is 0.17 of our population. However, they have a 0.56 power in electoral votes, which means they are on the upside more than they would deserve by their population, 0.38, almost 4, 0.4%. That's a lot. Uh, PA has 3.92% of the total population, but only has 3.53 power in electoral college. So you... you If you're seeing a pattern here, the pattern is is that the smallest states have a smaller population, but a higher degree of representation in the Electoral College. So I just I want to know if you understand that uh, and how just reactions to that and why that may be before we get into the history.
1: So just a couple of things to add to this. There are two states that do proportional delegation, Nebraska uh, and Maine. So those are two states where it's actually possible for the electoral votes to be split uh, in proportion, which is something some of you may consider as you look at ways that this could be amended or changed. Uh, The other thing to keep in mind, looking at Wyoming, who has apparently three electoral votes, that's the same as Washington, DC, which has about half a million people.
2: So so as you can see, representation as far as population favors the smaller states. And when you get you may say, Oh, it's only three electoral votes. I mean there's many states that have three electoral votes, but when you add them up together, all of them, especially in the Midwest, that tend to be red states, three plus three plus three starts adding up to some significant numbers and that can throw an election one way or the other. So that is why this is important, because elections are determined by these votes. So I'm interested in your thoughts on that before we get into the history of it. Uh, Callie, why don't we start with you? Why do you think it even exists?
3: Um, Well, it exists because of like people in power didn't want poor people or farmers or these people that didn't have as much education as others to have the power to actually be a democracy in the way that they planned it. So it's rooted in unfairness and inequality in the first place. And it just shows that the numbers show how unfair it is. And it continues to be like that.
2: Okay, anyone else have a comment on it? Yeah, Pat.
1: And just to uh, reiterate the Constitution Day theme, it is loosely based in the Constitution. Although the words "electoral college" are not present, the process is present in the Constitution. Okay,
2: so let's talk the Constitution because we have to talk Constitution. Everybody say Constitution. Constitution. Okay, so now I now pass a happy man. Okay, now we all get funded, and all you can continue go to school, pack, and go to sleep at night. It's all good. Okay. All right. This is how it all started. And I told you this is going to be irksome, Okay. Down a couple of miles, there's a building. You probably pass every time you go on the Ben Franklin Bridge. America started there. I always think that's a joke. I always drive by. I always go to my wife, hey, America started over there. It's it's Independence Hall. Uh, You should take a look there because everything happened there. And we had a country. We won the war thanks to France. It's probably you didn't learn that. You probably learned we did it all on our own. But actually, France is the reason why we won the war. And we got our independence, and we had a confederation of states. And it was a disaster. It wasn't working. There was no federal authority. We also didn't have a a national army, which was a problem, because you had Napoleon out there being very threatening. England was still very threatening. You had a lot of threats interstate or whatever, inter college whatever it's called, commerce was not uniform. People weren't making money, and that's a real big difference. So they decided to get together in that building, you pass by all the time, and have a new nation decided. And they came up with the Constitution. Now, you had, at that time, two different types of states. You had slave states, and you had non-slave states. Not to congratulate them because they made a lot of money, the non-slave states, on the slave states. So it wasn't, I don't want to make a good bad situation because kind of everyone was sort of terribly tarred by all of this. But when they got together, the slave states were very interested in keeping to be slave states. And what they saw is, is that if we did an election, we're talking about putting together this government, on votes, they would lose because more people lived in the upper northeast than lived in the south. More white people lived in the upper northeast. What they were afraid of is if we had a system where the majority vote would elect an executive, that that would lead to the end of slavery. So they refused a majority vote. And it came to a point, which is probably something we could argue for another time, the northern non-slave states had a decision to make. They could say, okay, well, southern states, go your own way. We don't want, you know, we don't want slavery, you want slavery, go your own way. Or we could all be one nation. And they made a decision to do what they call the Great Compromise, you can call it whatever you wish to call it. And you can say, the argument is, if this compromise I'm gonna talk about very soon, wasn't made. We wouldn't be the nation we are today. We'd have a southern part like Europe. You know, it's not unusual to have in a territory as big as the United States, numerous countries. Look at Europe. I mean, there's tons of countries all over the area. That could have been us. Could have that been better or worse? That's something for another another day. But the northern states decided on this compromise, and here it was. Just for example, let's take Georgia, and these are numbers, I'm not sure the exact, but it's representative. Georgia had a population of 4 million people. 2 million of them were white, 2 million of them were black slaves. Now, black slaves had no right to vote. So, if it was a normal election, Georgia would only have 2 million votes and they'd be outvoted by any of the northern states. that had four million people, white and black, who had the right to vote, at least men who had the right to vote at the time. So what they decided is, the southern states said, if we want to get together, you have to agree to this. You're gonna count our black people as to the electoral number in the state, as to how many Congress people we have in the state. You're gonna count these black people but you can't count them fully. Why do you think you couldn't count them fully? Chris? is uh,
4: because the majority of them were enslaved and they didn't have their own rights. Right.
2: And they weren't people.
4: Yeah, they were
2: three-fifths, considered. That's exactly right. They were looked as property, not people. And if you refer to them as people, then you were referring to them as having rights, which they didn't have. So what they came up with, a compromise that a black person became a three-fifths human being. So you can do the math, two million divided by three-fifths, whatever, and that's how they determine. So Georgia, instead of having X amount of electoral votes, which would be low, they'd count in three-fifths of these other human beings to their electoral vote and would have a much healthier electoral vote. And as a result, they assured themselves that they would have southern presidents. And guess what? Almost all the beginning presidents, other than Adams, were Southerners. Washington, our man Jefferson, you know, all Virginians, Monroe, Madison. Guess where they came from? Slave states. They would never, ever have come from slave states. Washington would have been elected, no question. He came from slave because he was who he was at the time. But that assured slavery. So when I say to you, what is the root of the Electoral College without doubt, it's slavery. So I, I'm interested in the reaction on that because I don't know how many of you knew that. So um, Simon, you have a, we'll start with you and go around.
6: I mean, I guess like um, it kind of goes back to like sort of like the theories of like racial domination. So I know Hitler actually took a lot of inspiration from a lot of the things we did here in the United States. Uh, particularly how we like kept subjugation of the black population. However, he did say that we didn't do it properly in the sense that the fact that we integrated or that blacks are integrated into American culture just ruined it completely. So I guess that electoral, the Electoral College being a tool to keep like white supremacy there is sort of its earliest forms of what Hitler did in the uh, 1940s.
5: I was going to say, like, this just reminds me of how people, they always want to be in power, especially white people. And this just kind of goes back to how despite despite them wanting to be in power, they always have to rely on the minority to make things happen. And they're just kind of profiting from them consistently and constantly, whether they realize it or not. And through that, you can just show it shows at least it shows me that the minority actually does have power and it has power over the majority and the majority doesn't want that.
2: You know, that's a great point, because economically, if you ever wonder why the United States started out like a powerhouse economically, it's because we had all this cheap labor. So it, and it, it, using your logic there, that's how the southern states gained power from the same reason, through the minority who didn't have any power. That's a really good point. Um, Callie, you want to comment on anything? No, I think I'll let someone else go. Okay, let's go to Sheldon. Here we go. <laughs>
7: I just want to say like I'm completely unsurprised that the electoral college was built around slavery because so much of our constitution is ba- like built around the foundation of slavery like down to the bill of rights and like how our economic system worked for what over hundred years and it's still kind of like built into how it works now. I mean just
4: kind of hearing this like the, the the actual history of it all um it calls basically for outrage, and uh, for like the listeners at home, they could also probably just be getting mad as well. But it's it's been like this for a very long time, since the beginning. Um, and the electoral colleges were decided a very long time ago. And I guess kind of the question is, is why hasn't there really been a reformation? Why hasn't this been talked about? And it comes kind of down to the point that Either no one cares, no one knows, or no one wants to research. And it's not their problem to deal with.
1: So the one thing I will say is that that isn't entirely true. There have been opportunities to overturn – I won't say overturn this, but to come up with an amendment or some sort of thing to go to a popular vote. And in some instances, they've come as close as two votes – Of overturning this at multiple times in history, but again, not to be done. So here we are in the same system. One thing I'll add, and this is just something people may say, and so I want to say that this people may say the 13th Amendment took care of the history of this, and so why can't it work now? Because it's not about that anymore, some would say, because the 13th Amendment has been written. So I want to know what people think about that. There's
2: there's, there's so much to talk about, Okay, Um, uh, So much to address. First, why? Okay, And then we'll get to Pat's uh, issue. Uh, First of all, 61% of America wants to change it. But that's a meaningless poll, because what that means is you're assuming that these people poll have any clue what they're talking about. Uh, and you know and from classes I've had, I really hate polls because they ask people questions without getting foundational issues. And a perfect example is, what do you think of the ACA, American you know, Affordable Care Act? Oh, we love it. What do you think of Obamacare? We hate it. Same people. Because they don't even know what it is. Okay, but affordable care, that sounds good, right? Obama, bad. Um, but that's a problem. Uh, looking at more closely... A huge majority of America, not majority, huge minority of Americans, have no clue what the electoral college is, as witnessed by this room. There is a significant percentage of people think it's a college to train politicians. Okay, when I used to teach con law, I'd always start with freshmen or with sophomores. Then and I used to put on like a football team up there, and I photoshopped in the electorals, and I used to say, "Does anyone know that they were a Division Two team?" And they go, "Oh, we didn't know that." You know, so. I had explained it's not a college, but that's not them. It's mo- a lot of America has no clue what the electoral colleges is. So we start with that. The other situation is if you're a small state, you don't want to give this up. Okay? You know, if you're North Dakota, if you're Wyoming, you're South Dakota, we, Iowa, we go through all those states, Okay? You know, America is not New York to California. You know, there's a whole middle in there. They would say the following: This is what I want you to address. If we don't have this weighting of power on our side, and it is and it's significant, especially in close elections, if we don't have this weighting of power, then no one will care about us. Uh, all they'll care about is California and New York. Uh, New Jersey, PA, and no one's really going to care about our issues in North Dakota, Wyoming, Iowa, and so on, Kansas. You can go through the whole list. Uh, and this way, it makes you pay attention to our needs. What do you think of that? Oh, yes. It is.
6: I mean, I guess my rebuttal to that would be that the electoral college mostly represents like the state government's interest so things of like the common people might not necessarily be like it might not necessarily be represented as a whole and also when you look at like um when you take like the statistics of what people like generally agree on or want to change it's actually pretty similar in common so you would have a better bet at least with a popular vote than the electoral college excuse me
7: I'd argue that they're hypocrites because right now, since they hold so much power as a minority, they kind of like remove the representation from the like, majority of Americans because despite the fact that most of the population might be concentrated on either seaboard, it's unfair that the middle of the country has so much power over the rest of us. And arguing that they would lose that is kind of ironic because they're do- what they don't want done to them is what they're doing to us now kind of wanna like piggyback off
4: that um yeah i kind of feel it's somewhat hypocritical as and also to comment on the fact that you said like no one would care about the states or acknowledge them as the small ones it's it's something that happens every 4 years it's not like something that's consistent it's it's spread out to the point where you know i believe that the electoral colleges are kind of just using this excuse for as long as they possibly can and this kind of just allows them to have this power as you know if they were to like a bunch of small states were to genuinely get together like they could overpower some of the most populated most diverse and most opinionated states here in america
2: which they have
7: numerous times in two elections yeah I was going to say, to that point, these states still have, like, federal federal representation through their senators and representatives. So it's not like they're going completely ignored, especially because Congress tends to hold more power over the executive branch anyway. You
2: know, that was an excellent point. I think your rebuttal is perfect because in Congress – you have representation which is supposed to be at least proportionate to your, close to your representation or population. But New York, PA, Jersey, California, we all have two senators. North Dakota has two senators. The Senate is an essential part of our rulemaking, lawmaking, talk about doing percentages, okay? Wow, the power these small states have in their two senators more than make up for anything. So not only are you giving them that power, but you're giving them the electoral as well. So what you're doing is giving these states an overwhelming amount of power, if when you factor in that everyone has two senators. Um, yeah.
4: Also, this kind of allows like, the smaller states to kind of just not really discuss a lot of the important political issues that are talked about a lot in like major cities where it could be like minimum wage it could be you know different gun laws they don't need to talk about that because there's they obviously have a smaller population but they have such a huge impact towards the outcome of major issues which should be heavily like researched heavily thought about before they can commit to something that great
1: I would be interested to get everyone's opinion on how you feel that both parties actually benefit from upholding the electoral college, because theoretically, if we went to a popular vote, it would seem that a democratic president would almost be guaranteed to be elected. Unless the last two elections. And so there's something to be said that perhaps it helps to have a structure where you can't move things very quickly. You don't have to deliver because you always have an excuse because you don't have both branches of government or something like that. And I'd like to get your all opinion on that.
2: I think a perfect example right now is the Supreme Court of the United States. Donald Trump was not elected by a majority of people in this country, yet he was allowed to pick a number of justices who have significantly changed um, the political climate, sociological climate, economic climate in America. So that's, we're having the significant amount of people, according to polls, are in favor of pro-choice in America and we're against the Dobbs decision, but that has disappeared because the Supreme Court picked by a president who was not elected by a majority, who did not reflect the majority's point of view has now imposed his point of view on the majority, which doesn't want it. So there's a problem with that too. Um, If if it benefits the Democrats over the Republicans, well, maybe the Republicans should have policies that appeal to the majority of people in the country. Is there something to be said about, what is it, 90% of the people favor gun control laws, yet we can't pass a gun control law? There's something to be said about what the people want as opposed to what a minority, which has an undue amount of power, uh, has. So that, that addresses the looking, why isn't there having a change? Because to amend the Constitution is practically impossible right now. I mean, they, theoretically it is, of course, but no, practically it isn't. So this is going to stay. And I just have a question, you know, if you're in California, and you know, or I'm in Jersey, so I know we're going to vote Democratic right that's i know it we're going to go for whatever democrats gonna go why don't, why should i bother voting you know that why should i care if i'm in california why should i vote and what happens here when you get that philosophy because people only care as they said about presidential elections that gets them all riled up well state and local elections are very very important I mean, they control more than federal, as far as your day-to-day activities of living. But you don't go out and vote. Because you go, why, why why, bother? My vote doesn't count. I'm going to win this state anyway, so I'm not voting for the local, which may be Democrat. I, you know, The local people, it doesn't matter as much whether Democrat or Republican. You know, it really is a matter of local policy. What do you think of that? We're actually discouraging votes. You're counting?
3: Um, I feel like both are really great points of like it takes away like your feeling as a citizen that you have power in your choice. And we've seen that the highest amount of people that are voting are not younger people. It's a lot of people because there's so much you don't feel like you have that power. It takes away almost your right as a citizen without taking it away. And a lot of older generations with a lot more like Republican or conservative views are coming to the polls. They understand the power that that holds, but we're so discouraged, I think, as a younger generation that we haven't seen any change and we still see these people who in the government who are literally having strokes on camera and they're in our faces doing this and there's no change about it. It, it really feels like you you are just powerless as a citizen.
5: I feel like piggybacking off of that, it's just kind of like we have to question, does the average American's opinion actually matter? Like when it comes to our votes, like, do they do we as a society actually value these and do, does our government value our opinions? Because at the end of the day, it seems like it's only what they care about. So I feel like a lot of people are starting to realize this and they're kind of just like, what is the point if I know they're just going to overturn it anyway?
4: Um, I agree with you both completely on this feeling hopeless in voting and there's no point. And at one point in time, I asked myself, I'm like, what is the point of voting, especially in primary like, ele- like presidential elections where it doesn't matter what the population vote is. And I've seen it like twice in my lifetime. And the only thing I could really tell myself is there's at one point in time, my generation will be in that position where we are running for like positions of power and we are like in this spot where we could make change but that's not going to happen for like another 20 30 years so there's like nothing we really can do currently so I just kind of hope that like the newer generations understand that it's not entirely hopeless in the future but right now there's really not much we can do
7: I would argue that it. I'd argue against the fact that you think that it's hopeless, because like looking at the most recent election, where there was such a huge like push for voting, like from like every online company you saw, like every social media, even like games platforms were pushing like to go out and vote, completely nonpartisan. But I feel like encouraging people to vote does make a massive difference, especially when you're not the only person with the mentality that thinks, "Oh, my vote doesn't matter." Which leads to either side like the people that are like hard stuck in politics and really like are gunning to vote end up like making a big difference and I feel like encouraging people to vote like as a whole can really like change the outcome of an election.
3: I feel like there's something to say about like you talked about like platforms like telling you to vote. But also there's certain people who are literally getting like paid and sponsored to tell people to vote. And kind of I feel like that's something that we have to sit back and be like, what does that say about us? That we need a famous person to have a pin and post a picture and be like, vote. What does that kind of like say about us? And do we actually care about the issues that are being presented?
2: And just going off of that, it leads to either side pandering to the smaller states. Because even if you're a Democrat running in a you know, presidential election, and you know New York's going your way, do you have to spend any real time in New York? Uh, because you're going to win anyway. Um, do you, you go to the smaller states, and you pander to them, but it, if it was majority vote situation, you would go to New York, and you'd spend some serious time, because you want as many of those people coming out as possible, instead of people not coming out. And you address New York's issues so that somebody like George Bush Senior uh, wouldn't be in a position when New York was going into default, telling New York to drop dead. That's what actually happened when they asked for federal money because he, didn't, he knew he wasn't going to get that vote. It didn't matter. But even if you lose, if you're a candidate and you know you're going to lose New York, but if you only lose it by 50,000, that's okay because you make it up in the other states, but you're going to lose it no matter what, so why care? Why should either party care about the other, the state that won't go their way, because they're not going to get the electoral votes? But if you're going to get the people, then every vote you get is a vote towards the majority, and that matters. So it makes you care about every state as opposed to just the smaller states. Um, yes. Yeah, I was kind of
4: kind of wanted to comment on that, and it's just like it changes the entire game of politics and right now we're in a position where politics just is something you kind of watch like at well at my age at least Um, and if we were to like find like a way to switch it towards populists and like population popularity it would mean that a lot of the candidates would actually have to spend time on their own states and swing states because in the elections, a majority of their campaigning and their speeches and their rallies are done on swing states, which both sides are spending a lot of money and a lot of time in the same spot, which in that area, they're like the most informed.
7: And to that point, especially about the swing states under our current system, like any election that you pay attention to, you see like the six swing states, like, Highlight and they're the only ones you like that are focused on like you never see anything from new york or california you always see like michigan florida and pennsylvania as like the big three and uh, the pandering is also terrible like i'm from pittsburgh which is heavy industry and if i had a dollar for every time i've seen a political ad from either side focusing on oh we're gonna bring x y or z industry back and it's so painful because it's, it's so much nothing and I feel like under a popular vote system we wouldn't see nearly as much of that. Like Chris was saying, we'd see like actual focus across the nation instead of hyper focus in like two or three select states.
5: I feel like all of this ties back to the miseducation of younger generations. Like right now, I can say with almost full certainty, my generation knows more about the Kardashians or the TikTok algorithm and how it works rather than how the government works. So I feel like that's kind of done on purpose. Like, why don't we question that? Why don't we question why younger generations, why children are not being taught how governmental properties work?
4: But put the answer simply. It's boring for young generations to learn about that stuff. Um, especially, like, young teenagers, like 16, 17, who are, like, getting around that age where, you know, I should probably start understanding where my vote is going They're not. Like, I remember when I was younger, I didn't even really care about voting until I was, like, I turned 18. I didn't really do my own research up until I turned 18, and this is my own personal experience. Obviously, everyone has their different ones, so.
2: Just looking at some statistics, okay? One half of U.S. adults could identify the three branches of government, okay? Um. Very few know uh, the difference between powers, between Congress or Senate, or actually most people get Congress as a congressman, senator, House of Representatives, that's confusing to them. 40% inc- incorrectly thinks that the president is the only one who can declare war. It's Congress who can. Uh, 43% do not know that the Electoral College is what it is. 43% don't understand what it is on a, on a fundamental level. And I said, uh, for a very large majority, a one in five minority, What 20% of Americans think that the electoral college is a real college that trains people for higher office. Okay, so there's an unbelievable ignorance going on. And I like what you said. It could be intentional. The, le- the less you know, the better little automaton are you, right? Um, so maybe it's intentional, and it doesn't have to be boring. And maybe we can take some time away from learning about the pilgrims to actually learn about what our government is and, and how it works and engaging people. Uh, we have a serious educational problem, and maybe it's intentional. Okay? You're spending too much time around me. It's only been a month, but you're starting to think these way. But maybe that's the way it is. But until we understand what's going on until we care what's going on, this is gonna continue. This is your ball. You know, um, the people, the adults in the room here, you know, Pat's younger than me, but the adults in the room here are, you know, we're passing the torch to you. And either you care or you don't. I mean, that's up to you. But you're gonna have to find out and understand what it is and you're gonna have to be active and you're gonna have to demand to be heard. Because if you don't, you won't. Uh, We're running out of time. I just want to know if anyone has any final comments that that they want to make on this. Yeah, go ahead.
5: I was going to say, I know, trust me, no one, I know children wouldn't like or at least don't enjoy the traditional way of learning about government, but why, like, why are we making it boring for them? Why don't we make it fun? Why don't we, you know, engage them more into this? Why aren't we encouraging them to learn about this? And that just comes from, you know, like, it's just a genuine not, like, wanting them to learn it, so why not make it more engaging for them?
7: I believe it's a power thing. It's just not conducive for the government to teach the younger generation how it works. Because, like, look at the younger generations now, like, younger millennials and Gen Z. We've had so much impact over the past, what, like, two or three years on the, like, political space that, like, it's scaring the government as a whole, like, across both parties. It, It just doesn't really benefit them for us to know how it works, especially, like, how much change we have been demanding and I know we've been all talking about, like, oh, how little we're engaged in politics, but I honestly disagree. Compared to the generations that have come before us, we, we have been so politically active, and it's scaring the government. It doesn't – like, they don't want us to know because they don't want to change. It's an almost, what, 300-year-old institution, and it terrifies them that we hold this much power, and they're trying to take it away from us in any way we can.
3: Um, yeah, definitely. I 100% agree with you. And also I think there's something to note of when you're looking at, if you're starting to look at politics and you've never looked at it before or not just or the government, you know, you're it's very overwhelming. There's so much, so many different opinions and so much misinformation, especially nowadays. And we've seen that in the last the last two election of just how many different things that aren't even true you're reading. So it really just overwhelms, I think, when you're looking you can't just look at the education system because yeah there's a big part that they play but also how we talk about it and how the polarity and how volatile it's gotten in the political world than it hasn't before
1: so i would just like to say that i do think um, you all are being a little too hard on yourselves i think you are actively involved. I think you are actively looking for change. And I think everyone in this room and probably a lot of people like the Kardashians, but they also care about climate change. Like I, I, I believe that. So I think you all are very active, but it's one thing to want the tax code to change. And another thing to not know what's in the tax code right? So it's one thing to want government change, but not know how it operates in order to change it, right? And so those are the types of conversations where I think people at the surface really have an interest and want to see change, but don't maybe know all of the levers and pulleys that you can actually use to make that change happen. So I do believe that
2: you've got a great thing going. I think that's a wonderful ending. Now we could get our funding. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) Okay.
0: Thank you all so much for coming in and talking about the Electoral College. It's so important for us to know how our voting system works and to further inform and educate others about it. Thank you to Evan Lane and Patrick Ryan for hosting this episode. And again, we post our roundtables to our YouTube channel, and we are broadcasted on the first and third Sundays of each month from 8 to 9 a.m. on the G-Town Community Radio 92.5 FM WGGT. Thanks for listening, and have a great day.